Well, good morning, Carmel, and uh, it's great to be with you today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor for Genesis. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I preach most weekends over at our Noblesville campus. Uh, But Steve's getting some vacation time away today, and uh, I get to be here with you and always uh, look forward to coming over uh, to see you and to share with you uh, on these Sunday mornings. Um, I was helping a a friend move a a few weeks back, and uh, I think there were a couple of you that uh, uh, were there with me. And we had one of those moments as we were packing his moving truck where there was just this realization that it's not all going to fit, all right? I mean, that as much as we try and as much as we pack it uh, to the very tip top and to the sides, all of the items uh, that belonged to this family were not going to fit into this moving truck, and so uh, it meant renting a second moving truck. Well, that created a little bit of a dilemma for this family, and that is that they were going to leave that afternoon to drive straight through uh, to Kansas City, and so how are they going to get this second truck uh, to Kansas City? Well, this uh, friend and family have been so dear uh, to many of you and to my wife and I, and so uh, there was just this moment where I felt like, you know what, I, I can do that for them. And so I volunteered. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll drive your truck for you tomorrow. Let me uh, preach uh, our, our services, and then I'll jump in the truck, and I'll, I'll drive it to Kansas City for you. And so my wife got a kick out of uh, this picture. I don't know if you notice or not, but there's a deer uh, a trophy uh, sitting in the passenger seat there that uh, my friend Mark wanted to make sure wasn't hurt in any way. And so I called my new friend Bucky, and uh, he sat there in the passenger seat, and I got a few laughs uh, on my I drive to Kansas City, but uh, I, I pulled away and I made my way through Indiana, through Terre Haute, uh, through the southern part of Illinois, got to St. Louis uh, by late that Sunday afternoon, and as I got into central Missouri, I knew there was a chance uh, of some uh, severe weather, and uh, so I was uh, a couple of hours into Missouri, reaching, getting close to Columbia, uh, Missouri, when all of a sudden these clouds really started to come in and, and form uh, around me, and so I'm fascinated by thunderstorms, all right, I, I get a kick out of watching them and following them, and so I'm watching these clouds, and man, there's a lot of movement and a lot of rotation, and again, I'm out in the middle of nowhere when all of a sudden my phone starts going off. You know when those severe thunderstorm warnings, well, this was a severe tor- well, a tornado warning, and uh, so I quickly turned on the radio and found a local station only to hear them say that there is a funnel cloud that has been spotted near mile marker uh, 155. Well, I was right there at mile marker 155, and sure enough, as I looked off to my right, you could begin to see this rotation that was taking place, but I'm not afraid because Bucky's right there uh, with me, all right, and we're just kind of talking to each other uh, through this, but, but here's the dilemma. I'm in the middle of nowhere in a U-Haul truck with a funnel cloud off to the right and nowhere uh, to go. And add to that, it was only within a few minutes that the radio announcer came on and said, now not only is there a funnel cloud to the north of I-70, but there's now one to the south of I-70. And sure enough, I looked off to the left side, and there was another funnel cloud uh, that was forming. And so it was quite the intense moment. And, well, you can see that I survived. I'm, I'm here with you today. But, uh, you know, as I, as I was thinking about today and as I was thinking about Uh, the relationships that we find ourselves in and uh, the people that are in your life right now and the good and the bad that come out of these relationships. Uh, Do you ever find um, yourself in the middle of some tension uh, with someone and it just kind of sort of feels like this? Uh, Maybe the the storm clouds are kind of moving in between you and someone else right now. Uh, maybe it's the, uh, the conflict uh, that, that is uh, coming to shape. Maybe uh, you see trouble on the horizon right now uh, between you and someone else, between your family and another family. Uh, or maybe the storm has already hit uh, for you in your life and you're kind of living in the aftermath 
uh, of it. Maybe it's a conflict with a child. And uh, if you're a parent of maybe a teenager, um, you kind of know that challenge of trying to raise them to, to become an adult, but to still be their parent uh, at the very same time. Maybe it's a conflict that you have with a friend. And it was a great friendship until that person uh, went behind your back. Maybe it's a conflict with a spouse. And uh, he or she did something that you would have never imagined uh, that they would possibly do. Maybe it's a conflict at work. Maybe it's a conflict uh, with a family member. Again, there is so much good and so much bad that come out of our relationships. Uh, And because we know that conflict will arise, because maybe for some of you, you're living in conflict right now, Uh, with with someone, maybe someone that used to be very important to you, Uh, we're asking the question today, what does God want for us? Uh, What does he want for us as followers of Christ as we live in this world? How does he want us to live when, when troubles and conflicts like these come into our lives? Well, we're in the last two weeks of this series called Beautiful, and over the past six weeks, we've been looking at a teaching of Jesus known as the Beatitudes. Now, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, or if you use something like a version app on your phone, uh, you can go there with us. If uh, you don't have a Bible on your own, you'll find one maybe on the floor around you. You can take that, and uh, you can turn to page 677 there. But let's begin this morning by reading through these Beatitudes uh, that were taught by Jesus, this Beatitudes attitudes that we've looked at uh, so far, starting in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Now, Jesus was teaching to a large group of people, uh, people like you and me, men and women. There were children there, probably students too. And uh, he really was just kind of giving a vision of what God wants for us and how he wants us to live uh, as his followers. And so Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I'll just stop there for a second. You know, these first four Beatitudes help us see who we are in relationship to God. Uh, They remind us that we are nothing without Him and that He loves us as we are and not as we should be. Now, the remaining Beatitudes are all about how to live. Uh, how to live a beautiful life in this world, specifically when it comes to our, uh, the way we relate with, with our neighbor, with the people around us. And so a couple of weeks ago, and in verse 7, we read, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And last week, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then we come to our text uh, for this morning. It comes out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, our seventh beatitude. Let's read it together. It's here on the screen. Will you read it with me? Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, it's important right from this point that we realize that the beatitudes aren't a how-to list of how to live or, or excuse me, um, how to become a Christian, all right? I mean, that, that even as we read this text this morning about being called children of God, Jesus isn't saying, do all of this and I'll love you, all right? He's not saying that uh, if, if you show others peace, then I'll call you my child. And we see we don't earn his love. Uh, we don't perform our way into his family. And we know that because of Words like Paul says with us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, when he reminds us, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. See, for you, if you're in Christ, you became a child of God when you trusted Jesus Christ with your life. Uh, you were adopted into his family. And it's not by your works. It's not by my works. It's by grace. Uh, through faith that we become a child of God. And that's good news, all right? That's good news for your life, and that's good news for me, that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, uh, you belong to him. 
you are a part of his family. And that means that there's no amount of good that you and I can do. There's nothing that we can do on our own to earn our way into his family. And we're not capable of solving the problem of sin on our own. It's only Christ's death on the cross that can remedy that problem of sin for us. He does the work. I mean, it's all because of him. And so once again, the Beatitudes aren't something we do to earn God's love. What's the point then? Well, the Beatitudes provide a picture of what should be. They provide a picture of what could be in your life and what should be uh, in your life. I mean, the, the Beatitudes provide this picture for us. And with these words, Jesus gives us a vision of what God wants for your life and for my life and for our church Uh, The Beatitudes are a picture of what happens in your life when you really start trusting Christ and depending on Him. You become more and more uh, dependent on His presence in you, and that just means that you can't help as you trust Christ to become increasingly meek. Uh, You can't help but become increasingly merciful, and you can't help but become increasingly uh, pure in heart. And this morning, uh, what we find and what I want you to see is that as Christ's love grips you, And as you trust him and surrender more and more of your life to him, uh, you realize what it means to become a peacemaker. Uh, You realize how important that is for you and me as we go about our our day-to-day living. That that as a child of God, you can't help but grow in his love and in his character. Because the more you depend on him, the more you're going uh, to become like him. It's kind of like this if you have uh, children it's sort of like uh, what happens when, when you have uh, this kind of encounter. My, uh, my two boys and I were running a 5K race uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a bittersweet day for me uh, because I ran a PR. I ran a personal record uh, for me on that day, but my 12-year-old son also ran his PR, and it just happened to be about 10 seconds faster than mine, all right? So uh, even at, at 12 years uh, of age. But after the race, uh, there were these group of adults that, that I uh, bumped into, a bunch of friends that I hadn't seen. Seen, uh, since college, and they had never met my children before, and so I was introducing Joel and, and Luke to them, and one person in particular looked right at Luke, and she was like, wow, man, I mean, Luke looks just like Jenny. I, I can't believe how much he resembles uh, your wife, and so if you've had moments like that, you know that we pass those uh, things onto our kids, and uh, like it or not, I mean, we pass our habits, and we pass our mannerisms, we pass our, our likes and dislikes, we, we pass our character onto our children. Here's the heart of Christianity and the heart of what God wants to do through us and what it means to follow Jesus. It, it means that we look more and more like Jesus every single day. That, that's the heart of Christianity and the work that God wants to do in my life and your life to make us look more and more like Jesus each day. And as we trust Jesus each day, I mean, people look at us, you know, and they can't help but see a picture of what Jesus is like. Let me just ask you this today. Would someone say that of you right now? Uh, would someone say that uh, of your life and uh, your actions and your response to them? Our, our Heavenly Father wants to pass his character on to you. And uh, what I want you to realize this morning is that part of God's character is this. And if you're taking notes uh, and want to follow along with us, it's this, that first and foremost, God is a peacemaker. Uh, He is a peacemaker. And several times in the New Testament, God is referred to as the God of peace. And I love this quote by a pastor and author, John Piper. Uh, He said it like this. He says, God is a peace-loving God and a peacemaking God. The whole history of redemption, climaxing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, is God's strategy to bring about a just and lasting peace between rebel man and himself, and then between man and man. You see, God is a peacemaker. 
And as a follower of Jesus, we should be growing more and more in the character of God. And that just means that as we go looking for opportunities, we go living our lives, we look to bring peace into our relationships. We look to bring peace where there is conflict, peace between us and others. But what's it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, you might be pleased to know that it doesn't mean you become a hippie and drive up a beat-up VW van and smoke illegal substances, uh, in most states, that is. Uh, but uh, here, here's a definition of peacemaking uh, for you this morning, uh, if you want to write this down. Peacemaking is all the acts of love by which we try to overcome the walls that divide us. All right? Peacemaking is just that. It's all the acts of love by which we try to overcome the walls uh, that divide us. It's the walls that, that are constructed when a relationship is battered between you and a, a kid, uh, a relationship that is battered between you and a friend or a, a spouse or maybe an ongoing conflict between you uh, and, and, and an ex. Uh, God wants us. He, he wants you to live in such a way that our efforts and our actions and our prayers might bring down those walls. Uh, that so easily divide us. And later on in Matthew 5, Jesus gives two specific examples of why, what peacemaking can look like. And again, if you're using the Bibles in the room, you can turn over to page, uh, just one page, uh, page 678 or Matthew 5, verse uh, 43. I want you to listen to what Jesus says about being a peacemaker. <clears throat> he continues on with this very same crowd and this same uh, teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness, or unrighteous. If you love those who love you, who will get, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Verse 47. And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? But be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where would people have heard this? Right, where would they have received this type of a teaching? I mean, who was promoting this sort of living? Well, with a little bit of, a di- of digging, you'll find that Jesus is actually pointing back to uh, a law that's found in the book of Leviticus. It's found in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 18, where we read, Do not seek revenge. The law said, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself. And so the law was simply this, don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge against others. You can see the heart of the law, all right? It's a peacemaking sort of a law. But somewhere along the way, the focus and the intent of this particular law uh, shifted. Uh, Someone decided that the among your people part uh, left room for personal interpretation to the point that I get to decide who my people are. All right, I get to decide who they are. And if I decide that you hurt me, or if I decide that you've wronged me, well, you ain't my people no more, all right? And so again, you can see the personal interpretation in it. All of a sudden, revenge goes back on the table. And so the law became love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. That you somehow had permission to do this. But Jesus is going to correct the distortion of the law. And what did Jesus say? He said, I want you to love your neighbors, and I want you to love your enemies in the very same way. Now let me just stop there for a second and ask, who's your enemy today? You got one right now? Uh, someone that's maybe on your most wanted list or uh, what, what is it? What, 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 what happened? What's standing in the way between you and someone else or maybe most importantly, uh, maybe even in making peace with them? And, and for you to hear Jesus say, love your enemy, 
Well, I mean, if, if you're breathing and if you're like me, maybe you can't help but think, are you kidding me, Jesus? I mean, why would I love them? I mean, how could I, how, how could I love my enemy? And, and if you know what happened and if you know the story and if you know the history, if you endured it, I mean, maybe you'd even wonder to yourself, why would Jesus even expect that of me? That's just what God does. And he reminds us, uh, of Jesus reminds us of what God's children do. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the verse that said, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. See, God showed his love to people like you and me, people who didn't uh, deserve it and as children of God now, what he is saying, and it's a tough teaching, is that it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to seek peace where others would choose revenge, to seek peace where others would choose to hold a grudge. And Jesus gives us two practical steps here uh, toward bringing peace. The first is in verse 44 when he says, love your enemies and what? Pray. He says, hey, you want a practical application? You want a way of putting this uh, into practice? Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Write this in your notes. Peacemakers pray for their enemies. Um, This is where you got to start. This is where many people have to start. I mean, think about it. What did Jesus say when people mocked him while he was hanging there and dying on the cross? He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Have you ever done anything like that before? That's a tough step, man. I'm not saying that that's easy. But to actually begin by praying for your enemy, by praying for that person that, that's hurt you, who might that person be for you today? Uh, it could be that person that maybe you just simply have to see and put up with each day. Maybe somebody uh, at work, and maybe they're rude, and maybe they're offensive, and maybe you wish they'd just kind of go away once in a while, and, and maybe for whatever reason you're holding a grudge over something they did or something they said to you. Uh, for others of you, when it comes to your enemy, maybe it's so much more complicated than that. Uh, maybe some things were said to you. Uh, maybe something that was done to you that should have never taken place. And uh, maybe it's been years, but it doesn't matter. It feels like it was just yesterday because it's just as fresh in your mind as, as if it happened uh, yesterday. I want to tell you this. I, I want to tell you this morning that the path of grudge-bearing and revenge will not lead to peace for you in your life. Uh, it's not going to lead to peace for you. It's not going to lead to peace uh, for anyone else. Holding a grudge uh, might seem like the right approach. And I'm not in, in any way minimizing what they did uh, to you. I'm just speaking as honestly as I can uh, from a heart that desires to see you grow in the character of God, uh, to grow in the character of our Father, because the path of revenge leads to nowhere good. And some of you today, you're headed down that path right now. Uh, that path in your life. And, and what I want you to hear the Lord say to you today is this, is that that path leads to nowhere good. Because if the path that you're on right now in maybe a, a former relationship or a current relationship with someone uh, stinks of, of bitterness, uh, stinks of resentment uh, or revenge or animosity, man, that's the evil one. Like that's the evil one, and he, he's got a hold of, uh, on you. He, he's, he's influencing you, or he's influencing that relationship right now. That's his path. But for God, he's called us to be peacemakers, and to be peacemakers in this world. And I know that you're probably thinking, but that seems impossible for me right now. Uh, how, how could I ever possibly begin to think about making an effort in peacemaking? Uh, that's why our efforts in peacemaking have to begin with prayer. And you have to pray. And I don't mean praying that they get Ebola, all right, or praying that an asteroid lands on their house or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But you pray for them, and you pray for the best. And uh, you just keep praying 
for your enemy. Now, maybe you're wondering what that looks like. Well, briefly, you know, ironically, even a little later on in this same sermon, Jesus shares a prayer, a prayer that we can pray individually each day, a way of praying, a model for prayer, uh, but it's also a model that can be used in how we pray for our enemies too. It's found over in Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 9. You've heard this prayer before when Jesus prays, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. With these words, Jesus provided a model for us and how we pray. Now, what would happen if you started praying this model prayer uh, for your enemy? I mean, what if you started praying each day, praying for God's name to be holy in your life, but in, in their life too? And to pray uh, for God's kingdom to come in your life, but to pray that for their life too. What if you prayed for his will to be done in your life, but also in theirs too? What if you started praying for God to provide for your own needs and for their needs? Or how about this? What if you prayed, Father, for me and for my enemy today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? See, there's power in a prayer like that. There's power in praying the way that Jesus prayed and the way that he commanded us to pray. And man, I'll just tell you, you start praying and you watch how God changes your heart and maybe how he'll change the heart uh, of your enemy too. And so he's called us to be peacemakers. And peacemaking begins as we pray for our enemies. But then Jesus gives us something else to consider. And he doesn't say it directly, uh, but it's implied for us in verse 47. He continues by saying, And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Again, it's another uh, example of the distortion of the law from Leviticus 19 because the religious leaders had been promoting this idea that as long as the person was an enemy, go ahead and let them continue uh, as an enemy. But Jesus points out that's what pagans do, not God's children, not God's people. And so what do God's children do? Jesus says they're willing to greet their enemies. Uh, Peacemakers are willing to greet their enemies. Peacemakers have the guts Uh, to encounter them, uh, to encounter him or her as much as it hurts. Uh, Peacemakers can tolerate being in the same room uh, if necessary. A peacemaker can cooperate uh, with an ex as painful as it may be. Uh, Look at it like this. Have you ever had a moment when maybe you were shopping in a place like Meijer or Walmart and uh, you're getting ready to turn down an aisle and all of a sudden you see them and you don't want to see them? and you don't want to encounter them, and you don't want to have a conversation with them because of whatever may have happened, and you're pretty sure that they didn't see you. And so you know that all you got to do is get to the frozen food aisle and get the frozen peas and get home, but, but you, you don't want to run into them. And so all of a sudden, it kind of becomes like this Tom Cruise Mission Impossible sort of experience for you at Walmart, where you, you'll go to the other side of the store and make a full lap around the store to just come back, get those peas, and, and get out of the store. Anybody ever do anything like that before? I have. I'll I'll be honest with you, and you're probably wondering, did he do that for me? Like, was it me that he didn't want to see uh, or whatever? Uh, Well, Jesus says there's another way. There's another way of life, a beautiful life that our Father has for us, a way of a peacemaker. And he shows us here that the secret to putting animosity to death, it starts with prayer. And then he challenges us to have the guts and to have the integrity to greet our enemy Uh, to have a conversation with our enemy, to start making the effort of bringing peace uh, into a relationship where a wall has formed. And so uh, pray, Jesus said, greet, and then everything's perfect, right? I mean, it just all goes back together. I mean, it all works out so cleanly and so nicely. Well, I wish that were the case. Uh, But the truth is that we live in a broken world. 
And uh, so I think it would be wise to approach peacemaking with a couple of final thoughts. One is this, um, and that is that peacemakers don't always succeed. Peacemakers, uh, your efforts, my efforts at peacemaking, we won't always succeed. Uh, consider this, one, one author describes a moment from World War I. Uh, the Germans and the Americans were battling each other from their respective uh, trenches, and uh, separating them was a very narrow strip of, of no man's land, really, and Uh, As the author describes, the gunfire was very intense at that moment. At one point in the battle, a German soldier attempted to cross uh, that no-man's land when he was shot multiple times and then ended up getting entangled uh, in some barbed wire. And so he was screaming in anguish so loudly uh, that the American soldiers could hear him screaming. And when one American soldier couldn't stand it uh, any longer, he crawled out of his trench and uh, made his way to this suffering German soldier And when the Americans realized what he was doing, they quit firing. And then all of a sudden, and not too long thereafter, the Germans realized what he was doing, and they stopped firing too. And uh, this brave American went, and he freed this German man. And then he picked him up, and he walked him straight over to the German trenches where he handed him over uh, to another soldier who was waiting to take him. And uh, after doing so, he turned around to go back to the American trenches. And uh, as the author of the story writes... Uh, He says when he was safely back in his trenches, uh, they resumed the insanity of the war. See, the fact is that peacemakers don't always succeed. Uh, Even in your efforts to extend mercy uh, and to forgive and to show love and patience and a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, we're not always going to succeed. Peace isn't guaranteed, but God's will for us is still the same. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, 18, that if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I wish that there was a way to make people accept our peacemaking efforts. Um, I wish that people, uh, people that we've been in conflict with or that we are in conflict with, that they would come with the same attitude and the same heart when we come to the table. I wish there was a way to ensure that when we do the right things, peace would be achieved. We have to understand that it, it, just because you do the right thing doesn't mean the other person will, will too. But as Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And if we just stop there for a second, you know the thing that's truly amazing about this passage is that it explains exactly what God did for us. It's what he did for us when we rebelled against him. He did everything possible to restore our relationship with him. He sent his son Jesus to the world, the prince of peace. And Jesus came and he gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have peace With God, but do you know what He doesn't do? He doesn't force His love on us. He doesn't force that love on us. He he doesn't violate your free will or my free will and make us love Him. He just loves us and He keeps loving and offering His peace to you and to me. And so we get to choose whether we'll receive or reject that love. One last thing about peacemaking peacemaking is not the same thing as peacekeeping. Uh, There is a difference. And there's a really difficult passage of Scripture that I don't feel like we're going to do much justice, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, It's in Matthew 10. A little later on, a different occasion where Jesus says in Matthew 10, uh, beginning in verse 34, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
And I read this, and I can't help but think, okay, Jesus, you just wrecked my message uh, on peacekeeping or peacemaking. But uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into this particular passage, and you've got to run it up alongside of other things that Jesus said. But as I look at it, I mean, is Jesus really calling me to turn against my mom and dad or my mother-in-law? I mean, I love my mother-in-law. I mean, she's a really you know, sweet and kind woman. But, so what's Jesus teaching here? Well, it's what we talked about, and uh, you know, as far as our, our peacemaking efforts are not always going to produce peace. And, and so when it comes down to it, when there's a choice to be made between keeping the peace and standing for what's right and standing for what's true, your priority as a follower of Jesus is always God's truth. And uh, that just means for us that we're going we're gonna to find ourselves in situations and we're going to have to decide, we're going to have to determine that we're not going to tolerate behavior that's wrong. Uh, we're not going to tolerate behavior that's illegal or dishonoring. Uh, that's not peacemaking. All right, to avoid that is to keep uh, the peace. And, and as followers of Jesus Christ, your first priority is to live for your Heavenly Father. And that means uh, standing up for the powerless. Uh, that means uh, standing for those who can't stand for themselves. It means choosing uh, to not back down even when you face adversity, uh, but to keep trusting the Lord and depending on Him to guide you. And, and we all know that doing the right thing and living for God, well, it's not always uh, going to lead uh, to peace. But if you look to the life of Jesus, uh, this is exactly what he did for us. Uh, he never once compromised the truth of God just to keep the peace. And that's why over and over again, there were people who wanted to kill him. There were people that wanted to shut him up. There were people that wanted to throw him off a cliff. And finally, they arrested him and they beat him and they crucified him on the cross. See, Jesus had to give his life to make peace, to accomplish peace for us. And now he calls you and me to be the peacemakers too. And that's not a life of passive compliance, but a life of action and a life of love and justice and mercy. And it's a life where we do more than live peaceful lives, but we actively seek to make peace, to cause reconciliation, to end bitterness, and to tear down walls that will divide us uh, from others. I want to close the story uh, this morning by sharing an amazing story of what peacemaking looked like in one man's life. Uh, Mitchell Birch is the pastor uh, of a church in Ohio, and uh, this is a story of what happened to him back in May. A Middletown church is gathering around its pastor today after his family is struck by tragedy. The pastor's wife, Shelley Birch, and her mother were both killed last week in a crash in northern Indiana. WLWT News 5's Tammy Mutasa is live for us with how the congregation is supporting the pastor tonight. Tammy? Curtis, today this close-knit community and its pastors are leaning on each other while celebrating the life of Shelley Birch. Today is her visitation and celebration of life here at the Town Boulevard Church of God. Now, she'd been married to Reverend Mitchell Birch for 36 years and was widely respected around this community. Birch and her mom, Linda Dykstra, died on Wednesday in Indiana. Investigators say their car ran a stop sign and collided with a semi on U.S. Route 224 near I-69. Pastors in Middletown have been rallying around Reverend Birch and his family as a spiritual support group. They say pastors are always comforting everyone else and they need comfort too. We rely on the support of our colleagues and each other uh, to gain that strength and support from each other. And there are many, many pastors. There's pastors from all over the country who can come here to be a part of this time with Pastor Birch and be supporting him and his family. 
The celebration of life started about an hour ago. Reporting live in Middletown, Tammy Matassa, WLWT, News 5. All right, thanks a lot, Tammy. We are told the pastor and his wife had a music ministry that traveled all around the country. I had an opportunity to meet this pastor, uh, Mitchell Birch, uh, a little over 15 years ago, and I know that he wouldn't remember me. And, uh, you know, if I had heard this story, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, it, it would have hurt. There would have been some pain or shock. Maybe you remember hearing this story, and uh, you would have reacted in the same way. But because I knew him, or at least knew of him, um, it kind of caused me to just kind of start following, you know, his life. And it happened back in May, and, and I just happened to notice on, on social media back a few weeks ago that uh, he wrote something uh, in a blog post that I wanted to share with you. Uh, Mitchell Birch writes, just feel compelled to write about an incredible experience I had last Tuesday night. I was coming out of a store when my phone buzzed. The voice on the other end said, my name is Frank, and I'm the truck driver who was involved in the accident that took the life of your wife and mother-in-law. Mitchell writes, my heart skipped at least a couple of beats as we began to talk. I told him how thankful I was that he had taken the time and the courage to call me. I told him that neither I nor my children held him responsible for Shelley and Linda's tragic deaths. I told him that we've been praying for him daily, knowing that he must be going through hell. He said to me, you will never know how much it means to hear you say those words. Uh, we then talked a few more minutes, and he asked me if I had any questions of him. And I asked him, Frank, what did you do immediately after the accident? He responded, after I hit the car and came to a stop, I went immediately to the car where your mother-in-law and wife were. He says, I've been in law enforcement for 13 years and a volunteer firefighter for 14 years, and I wanted to do something but quickly realized there was nothing I could do. Uh, both women were either already expired or unconscious. They were both lodged, and I couldn't get them out, and so I did the only thing I could do, Mr. Birch. I held your wife's hand and stayed with her until the first responders arrived. I did not want her or her mother to be alone in death. Mr. Birch, I want you to know that she was never alone. I thanked him and told him I was grateful he was there with them and that I also knew that Jesus was there at that moment too. And at the brief end of our conversation, I asked him to do something for me that would bring great comfort to me and my family. I said, would you please be the best husband, father, friend, and neighbor possible for the rest of your life? Love your wife, love your children, and love God and the life that he has given you. And he agreed. And then Mitchell Birch finished by writing. He says, I was grateful. <clears throat> he took the opportunity to do that very difficult thing. And it certainly shows you his grief is real as well as it is in mine. But uh, he says, please pray for this man, Frank, and his wife and family. That God will give him peace as he gives me and my family peace. And then he closes, depending on him, Mitch. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Let me just ask you, do you have an enemy today? Do you have a relationship in your life that needs to be reconciled? Is there something that God wants to do in you, strength that he wants to give you as he has shown you peace, that you'd be willing to go and show peace to someone else? Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, you know, as we consider these words as we think about what it means to be a peacemaker we're just reminded that you've called you've asked for every bit of us to surrender all of we are all that we are to you and for you 
God, we are here to live our lives fully and completely for you. And that's not easy. And it's difficult and it comes with its challenges. Uh, And that's why we're asking for your help today. That's why I'm praying for help for some here in this room right now. And I trust and believe that maybe you're working on a heart or some hearts here today. And you're calling us to a new way of action. You're calling us down a new path, a way that honors you and glorifies you, a way that can help, help others find their way back to God in this world. God, give us the strength to trust you, to live completely and fully for you in this world. God, we want to live the beautiful life that you've called us to. Give us the strength and the hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, will you stand with us as we close, as we sing, as we make this our song, our prayer, and our response today as we live for the Lord in this world. Let's sing together.